Hello and welcome back to Hyperfixations, the podcast where we talk to neurodivergent people about their special interests. My name's Ali. I'm Nigel. And today we have on our lovely guest Faust. Hello. Hello. And Faust, tell us what you're here to talk about today. I'm here to talk about The Dresden Files by Jim Butcher. Nice. So tell us a bit about The Dresden Files, like what's it about, what what, what is it? Like, give us a bit yes. of context. What drew you to, what drew you yeah, to choose yeah. it for this episode? What did you say, Nigel? What drew you to choose it for this episode, oh. even? Yeah, so it's a it's a book series that's about sixteen books, I think, at the moment, and it's an an urban fantasy setting where you follow Harry Dresden, the main character, who is a wizard, and it starts out with him like working with the Chicago police, who have a department for like supernatural crimes, that's really underfunded and like the laughing stock of the police, but they try to figure out when a crime was done by supernatural means and sometimes they call in Harry to be like this is clearly above our pay grade you are a wizard please help us out and then it kind of continues and the plot grows bigger and starts to involve like more and more people and become more dangerous um and I chose this because I think it's the first book series that I actually I was introduced to it by a friend in August, like three or four years ago, and I proceeded to read all of the books in like a year time. I think I read more than one book per month just because it was that good. And I've never had that with a book series before or like with any kind of media before. And yeah, it's it's just really good. It's my favorite book series. It's not better than like just like speed, like reading through like, <laughs> yeah. a book series or watching through something at that speed because it's just so good. Like. Yeah, and like there's a little bit of a like hesitation because obviously there's I think when I started there were like fourteen books because the last two just came out this year. It's like there's mm-hmm. fourteen whole books that is a huge amount to read. And then I started it because this friend uh lent me the first two books while we were on a holiday together. We were city tripping. So like on the plane I started reading the book and she was asking me for updates and stuff, so I was motivated to start on it. And then it just drew me in entirely and they're so fun to read like you don't even realize how fast the time goes while you're reading them and it's interesting because usually I read like either literature like Shakespeare or young adult books this is I think also my very first kind of touching with new adults no actually like real adult books that aren't because in my my experience and in my perception, adult books are like crime thrillers or like those Swedish murder dramas. And that doesn't yeah, interest me yeah. at all. So besides Lord of the Rings, which is again like full on literature at this point, this was my first real touching with adult fiction that was also fantasy and wasn't super pretentious. <laughs> so that was, that was really nice. Yeah, I think it's on the uh, the cover of uh, Battleground, the most recent one. They have a, um, like a blurb quote recommendation from io9, and it says, like, the Dresden Files is the set gold standard for urban fantasy. It's, it's just super well-developed. Like, I mean, I don't like to talk about Harry Potter because J.K.R. is a turf and all of that, but J.K., mm-hmm. she, she created this world 
that's super interesting and just really good in world building, I feel. And this one does it too, but I feel even more expanded. Because like Harry Potter is just like the school and some stuff around it. Well, here you've got the, the author Butcher draws inspiration from, I think, so many different kinds of mythology and legends and stuff. As far as I'm, as, as I'm aware, he's pretty respectful about it too. Like, I feel like he researches what he talks about and doesn't just include stuff to include stuff, you know? You know, yeah. so it's super. Yeah, I think so, at least. Um, I'm not super familiar with everything he brings in, but it feels respectful to me. Um, so it's definitely, definitely the stuff he's brought in from Irish mythology. I, you know, it's like that's fairly respectful. It's not, it's not, it doesn't stray into like the sort of stereotypical like lucky charms kind of thing, which a lot of media <laughs> would do. It would it's not like that, leprechauns like... at the bottom of a rainbow. It's like, yeah, they're actual fairies and and like lethal creatures from these yeah, mythologies. Fuck you up. Yeah, he doesn't do oh. anything. And I mean, what's also interesting for me is that at this point in the last two books, stuff has happened that's been like mentioned once or twice, ten books ago, and then just got forgotten about, and now was revealed like, hey, this has been going on in the background all along. But Harry, the point of view, he didn't know about it. So it's such a good setup and it's very well thought out and the plots just keep getting bigger. And it's really nice. Great foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, but let me count my books. There's a thing that happens in... Uh, I mean, you can, we can just put a spoiler warning if, if you want. Talk about whatever you want. Okay, there's this thing that happens in the eighth book, Proving Guilty, where one of the antagonists, who's kind of like frenemies with Harry, uh, Marco, and he gets kidnapped um, by this order of like demons, kind of. It's more uh, complicated than that, but basically they're like an order of demons, and they work through a set of 30 coins. So if you have a coin, you basically become a demon. Kind of. And at the end of the book, they count the coins and there's one missing and nothing happens anymore with that. It's just like, yeah, shit, one coin is missing and then other stuff happens Ooh. and Harry has to deal with it and coin gets forgotten. And now in uh, Beastocks, which is book 15, no, 16, Beastocks is book 16, it turns out that Marco and the guy who was kidnapped picked up the coin and has become one of these really powerful demons. So like, there's eight books in between there. That's insane to put up a plot point. So it's yeah, stuff that like that. I remember, yeah, I remember reading the stuff and like this, the, the villain at the, like at, at the very start in the very first book and in, in the second one as well, they go, oh, it, you know, it's so weird that these guys had access to these things like I wonder how they got them and then they never ever mention it again for a solid like 10-15 books before it's ever <laughs> yeah. brought up again like oh remember this yeah you're like vaguely uh... a little bit yeah and it's not like it doesn't feel like Butcher forgot about it because he just happened to forget about it. It genuinely feels like 
there was so much other stuff happening in this world that Harry had to deal with that there just wasn't an opportunity for him to research it. So yeah, of course, he had lost track of it and then bad shit happens. But it's such a mm. natural setup, I feel. Also, Harry Dresden is kind of a dumbass. Oh my god, he's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's so intelligent, like he's super smart, but he has no common sense. Smart but stupid. Pretty much, yeah. What I also like, this isn't like proven or anything. This is a theory that I have that's going to happen. Is the I love, I a, theory. Hmm? I love a good theory. Yeah, <laughs> it's I don't know if it has an actual name, but it's when. You know, your hero starts out all good and pure and convinced of their convictions. Yeah, convinced of their convictions. That's a good sentence. Um, and then slowly, like, falls down and becomes evil themselves. And I don't see that happening very often. I mean, I don't think I could think of a single instance of the hero being the main character and turning evil, basically. But I feel like that's happening with Harry. Because if you read the first book, Stormfront, and you read what he says about his convictions, and then you see what he goes through, and then you're at Beastocks, which is the last one, it's like, oh boy, your moral compass has moved so much. Plus, there's this thing, you've got the Knights of the Cross, which is another order in the books, which is basically just three people who have been appointed by the Christian god to slay evil. That's their job, protect the innocence from evil creatures. And they have these Seems swords- Seems like a fun job. What should I? Seems like a fun job. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> in, in certain ways. Um, <laughs> so they have these swords that they literally can't hurt innocent people. If you're a good person at heart, and if you're innocent, then these swords can't cut you. Except that in the last book, Harry... stuff happened, and Harry got upset and started attacking someone, and the swords actually did hurt him. So I'm like, okay, you're like objectively not a good person anymore at this point, and you're trying to do good, but mm. man, I don't know. I think he's gonna think, be... Do you think the Butcher's characterization, not just of Harry, but of the characters within, like, within the series as a whole, do you think he could pull that off well to make Harry the villain or at least like not a hero anymore? I think so. Because it's such a subtle... He's, I mean, it's taken a long time, right? We're at 16 books now. And yeah. if you just... like, It took me a year to read all of them, so a year and a half. And by the end, I was like, sure, okay, this all makes sense. All of Harry's choices, in a way, make sense because he didn't have other options. But if you read through the first book again, it's such a change. And I think if Butcher has enough time to keep on developing that, that he'll definitely succeed in getting Harry to be the villain. Because, like, villains never think, oh, shit, I'm the bad guy. They always think they've got something good going, right? They're always going to be so I think if Harry their becomes, own story. yeah, I think if Harry becomes the villain, it'll just continue being him not getting any good options and having to make the best out of a bad situation. 
which keeps leading him down the wrong path. So I don't think he's gonna go full on evil, like take over the world, blah blah blah. But I do think he's gonna become like an antagonist or something. Like someone they'll have to take out for the better of like for the greater good. Yeah, I'm remembering I, I I'm remembering now the series because I read it uh I started reading it last March uh oh, with nice. Stormfront and I read like I read all of them and the short stories in time for uh Peace Talks coming out. So that was like July ish June, July. So I had yeah. all of them done and then like I I could I was up to date. And I'm just remembering some of the stuff that happened and it's like very very, very clearly like even as you're reading in time, not even just looking back, it's like these are very clearly um signposts. It's like this is a point that you've definitely gone past, be it for good or bad, like you can't go back uh, yeah. again. Like when when he uh, starts killing ghouls around like book ten or whatever, where he you know they kill yeah. a bunch of innocent people and he just flips. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple of like points of no return, and I think the most obvious one is you've got in this world you've got the Fae as like a fast kind of creatures. Of which you have the High Fae, and they've got like the Winter Court and the Summer Court and the Wild Fae. And the Winter Court and Summer, um, all three of the courts have their kings and queens and their ladies and stuff, like their hierarchy. And in the first eight books, I think, I don't quite recall in which book this happens, I think changes. In the first eight books or so, Harry is always like, we're not going to make a deal with the Queen of the of the Winter Court. She is too big of a danger. Like, even if I think I'm in control, I'm definitely not. This is a bad idea. We can't do this. She's evil. And then in book eight, stuff happens. And he literally has to just accept her deal to be able to save the people he cares about. There's no other option. And it results in him basically wiping <laughs> out an entire kind, because you've got several kinds of vampires, and it results in him wiping out one of those kinds of vampires entirely. And it's like, oh, buddy, you've just been telling us for eight books that you shouldn't make deals with Mab because she's so evil. I mean, she's not evil per se; it's just like the way she is, as a, like it's her nature. But to us humans, it feels like she's evil. And then he went and made a deal with her because he had no other options. And just, like, committed genocide on a hit-hole kind of vampire. So there's, yeah, there's stuff like that. It's like, he's not gonna stay good. The vibe I get from Harry here is, but I haven't read the books, but um, the vibe I get from Harry is that he's kind of, at least he's getting kind of, essentially like a good person and that he wants to do good, but... A lot of times he has to kind of make the best out of a bad lot and um, choose something that, while it might be the best option he has, like, does end up hurting people. Yeah, exactly. And slowly that means that, you know, if you start out 100% good and then you have to make a choice that ends up being, like, 80% good and then you're at 80% good and the best choice you can make is at 60% good 
you're still going backwards, even if you're doing the best you can. So in the end, it's gonna tip the scales, and you're not good anymore, even if you still tried to be. Because mm. I mean, even in the canon, that whole that whole genocide was to save everyone he loved, but then as a direct consequence of that, like something far worse happened. Yeah. Yeah. And there's stuff we don't know yet about him because, I mean, he's a wizard, right? There's plenty of wizards around and he is canonically like one of the strongest in terms of raw power. He's not the most refined or like the one who knows the most spells, but power-wise, he's one of the strongest to exist in like the last hundred years or so. And they have, Witcher hasn't explained all of it yet. But something has to do with like the position of the stars or something when he was born. And it's really putting like the faith of the whole world on his shoulders because he's got this special kind of destiny. And it's just it's not gonna end well, I think. Which is super intriguing, I love that. But I figure he's either gonna end up with Harry dying or like die either him dying in the fight or getting killed by the people who are his friends. Because they see what he's becoming. Hmm. But uh, one of the things that I think Dresden does quite well is uh, balancing like human monsters against like the actual um, supernatural world that exists around Harry's Chicago. I think mm-hmm. that's something that Butcher does very well. Yeah, I think so too. Um, trying to think of examples, but there's plenty of like humans that just are bad people and then there's also a couple of creatures that will be described as monsters who are actually very human-like um yeah like guy um the guy who's trying to shut down the special crimes bureau in in chicago pd that guy yeah this motherfucker what's his name (laughs) rudolph rudy yeah yeah rudy along those lines yeah. Yeah, he's the worst. <laughs> he's genuinely just like he's a corrupt cop. We know that much, uh, for sure. And he's just straight up an asshole to Harry and his friends. Mostly because he's corrupt and because he doesn't believe in all of the supernatural stuff, which is understandable. But he's just really like a sexist and a dick. Um. He's an arsehole, in other words. Yeah, just all-around asshole. I'm thinking of, like, actual humans that are actually, like, straight-up evil. But I don't think we've met many, because you've got, like, Marco, who is the crime boss of Chicago. Like, the godfather of all crime in Chicago. But he's also not not a bad guy. Like, he's, his one rule is, like, don't kill children. So a lot of, you know, accidental child deaths have gone down because the gangs and whatever are controlled by Marcone. So there are no turf wars anymore. So overall, crime has kind of decreased because Marcone is just... just has the monopoly on crime. So like, and he has kind of a code. Yeah. He has like a moral code, kind of, that isn't good per se. But like the result is still that less people die. Less innocent people die. That's so, like, fair. Yeah, he's a, he's a bad he's like, guy, but he's also like, yeah, gray area. 
Yes, John. Yeah, he's he's sort of like the archetypical gentleman gangster, I guess. If you were to <laughs> if you were to put a name to like his personality. Yeah, and he also ends up helping Harry in several on several occasions. And then there's several like monsters who are very human like. Uh, there's one of the one of the kinds of vampires that exist feed on like human emotion. And one of them feeds on lust and love. And this specific vampire is in love with a human, which means that he can't touch her or he'll get burned because they feed on lust. But if it becomes true love, then it starts hurting them. So this vampire loves this human so much that they like they're together. She knows he's a vampire, but they constantly have to wear gloves and like full body suits to even be able to be to be near each other. And that's such a struggle. And you can see how it's a very human kind of monster there. And Butcher is very good at like playing it out against each other. Butcher is very good at, at putting, at, at pitting like opposite character types together or like, you know, combining them, I mm-hmm. think, in interesting ways, I guess. Yeah, he's also good, I feel, at like taking certain archetypes and then giving them a twist. Like, like you start out at the first, in the first couple of books, Harry is a bit of a sexist, and it's, it's more like you know the old timey chivalry, keep open the hold open the door for a lady, that kind of stuff. It's yeah, it's sexist. Yeah. And, but then the woman he works with is the police officer. It's like the head of the supernatural police department, and she doesn't take any of his shit. She's <laughs> like, a, she's a tiny, petite woman who looks really cute. But she's got years of experience in, I think it's Taekwondo or like another kind of martial arts. And she's yeah, a, judo is. Yeah, judo. Uh, and she's really good with firing guns, and she knows her shit as a police officer. And she just doesn't take any of Harry's sexist shit. And then over the course of the first couple of books, Harry's lear- Harry learns that it's not okay to do that kind of sexist remarks and stuff, and he actually stops doing it. So she's she's a nice twist on like the damsel because often she ends up like being in danger. As like you're supposed to be the damsel in distress, but she's so good at what she does that she's actually not the damsel in distress. It's mm. interesting that you're saying that Harry kind of like learns not to be um like sexist because like I feel like with like a lot of times when a character is like that, they a lot of times they don't really like grow out of it. They sort of like it just kind of like it's just a character flaw they have, but. It's inter- it I think it's pretty cool that like he like that you see him like you said you can kind of see him grow and like learn that that's not okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I think it's because I mean with Murphy specifically the the woman he works with the officer. Yeah. At first he's very much I know all about the supernatural world and you know nothing. So I decide that this is too dangerous for you and you can't come along. To which Murphy goes uh, fuck you, it's my choice <laughs> to put myself in danger. And the first couple of books, they do have several arguments about it, where he keeps doing it, or he keeps like withholding information because it might put her in danger, that kind of stuff. And then eventually, I don't know when the click happens exactly, I feel like it's around book 5 or so, he stops doing it, and he actually just gives her the information and lets her decide. And that kind of, it's... it's the, the first couple of books are also very male gaze, in the way they're written. 
like all the mm. pretty women have big boobs, yeah. and big butts, that kind of stuff. And I think, but I'm not sure because it's been a while since I read them, that that also lessens considerably. Um, so I think it's yeah. more of a case of like Butcher learning himself that that kind of stuff isn't okay, and then actually applying it to Harry too. That that was a that was a question I was going to ask specifically about the um, the male gaze sort of. Because when you read when you read a lot of the early books, they do like a lot of the stuff he says comes across as extremely like to to put it in a word problematic, like at best some of the <laughs> stuff. Um, I like and you know like the books were all the, the books were started the series started twenty years ago, but you know I guess do. You, you feel it. They feel kind. Do you feel that they feel kind of out of place, like to readers of today, especially with um, the growth and in, in quality uh, of the narrative and of the characters and stuff as the series has gone on? Because it's been going on for years and years and years now. I think, I think it could be difficult to get into the series because you know I've had several people because my friend and I who've actually read the series, keep telling our other friends to read the series. Uh, and the few who have started on it have commented, like, it's really just not fun to read because of the sexism. They're like, yes, we know, but it stops. So I think that might make it difficult. And also the first book is, like, writing-wise and plot-wise, the first book is the worst. You can definitely see that Jim grows as an author throughout the series. I mean, it's impossible. If you're writing the one series of 20 years' time, obviously you're gonna grow. So I think the first... Yeah. I, I really like the second book. It's actually one of my favorites. But I think, like, the first two or three books might be a little hard to get into, which makes it difficult to get into the series. But once you get... Once you've had those the quality just goes up in leaps, I feel. Yeah, book four, from what I remember, that's the one where they introduce uh, the the silver coins and stuff. That one was that one was really that, like exceptional, especially when you compare it to Stormfront, Full Moon, and Grave Peril before it. Yeah. Also, the funny thing because I'm actually like looking at my books right now. Most of the titles are secretly puns, and I just really love it. Like, the, yeah. the, the second one is called Fool Moon, but spelled F-O-O-L instead uh. of F-U-L. And it's to do with, there's werewolves in the book, but it's also like Harry being led on a bit of a chase and not seeing connections. So it's like, yes, he's a fool chasing the full moon. And like, the third oh, one no. is called... The third one's called Grave Peril because he's in a lot of danger, but it's also to do with ghosts and graveyards. So you can... that's a fun little thing Jim does that always makes me smile. Mm, he gets a, bit on, gets a bit on the nose, though, on, on the later ones. It's like he's given up trying. The one, like, the <laughs> one where... the one where Harry... like, the one where Harry is in the spirit world is just ghost story. <laughs> yeah, fair. <laughs> fair. And not all of them are puns either, but I'm like, I appreciate that he did that, even if it's not like consistent and not very good sometimes, it's like, that's a fun thing. It's also yeah. extremely fitting for the kind of humor in the books. Harry is such a nerd. He's 
a, a real life wizard, and he plays Dungeons and Dragons with his werewolf friends. Like, how much of a nerd can you be? Honestly, love that for him. Harry yeah, seems like he, a king. He plays a barbarian, so I'm like, eh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah, sure. If you're a wizard in real life, I guess you don't want to think when you're playing D and D. That makes sense. That is fair. But, yeah, so he's just a really big nerd, and the kind of he constantly makes references to like media that other people just don't get. And he's like, oh, what kind of losers don't get this kind of reference? Like, no, Harry, you are the loser. In fact, me when You're I was like in school, Deadpool. Yeah, yeah, actually, it's a good. <coughs> Excuse me. Are you okay? All right, yeah. there. <laughs> Don't die on audio, <laughs> live on air. Can you Nigel dies. No, I think it's just I think it's just slightly cold in the house, so that's like on my lungs, you know. Your lungs are like giving up. Yeah, it's just like it gets slightly cold, and my lungs will be like, hmm, like not when it, you, you know, when it's like a crisp, clear cold. It never does oh, it then, yeah. but when it. When it just like settles, when the temperature goes settles slightly, then my lungs are like, <gasps> You're like we are under attack. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. I also like that. I love this podcast. It's just me rambling about the Dresden Files, which I don't get to do very often. Um, here for. <laughs> I also like that there's a vast amount of characters with very different experiences of what life is and none of them are painted as inherently right or wrong per se i mean except for the villains like don't kill people (laughs) but like you've got harry it's also interesting because like the series starts when harry is 30 years old and i think at this point he's like mid 40s so you can really Mm. see him growing old but like you've got him who lives on his own with a dog and a cat in a basement apartment that he hires. And then you've got Murphy, who has had two husbands, who has been divorced twice, who is now just really focused on her job as police officer. And then you've got Michael, who is one of the Knights of the Cross, who is a devout Christian, goes to church every week, has a wife and like seven children, and has like the perfect picket fence kind of what's the expression white picket fence yeah kind of life and none of them are painted as like better or worse than the other it's just like different kinds of living your life and it's all fine yeah those are some of the best moments in the series when they have to like discuss the ethics of whatever batshit crazy scheme <laughs> harry has concocted and they're <laughs> like mm. maybe not <laughs> i love it there's a certain moment where harry is thing because he went to live on an island for a good year and a half because something happened that was really traumatic and he's just like no I'm not dealing with anyone's shit right now I'm gonna live on my own on this island in the middle of the lake I don't remember what it's called the big lake in Chicago oh and I, I don't know the name of the lake but the island is like Demon Reach right yeah on Demon Reach and he's there on his own for like a year and a half And then stuff happens and he has to go back to Chicago and he goes to Michael because he's feeling like shit. And Michael's kind of like his 
semi-father figure-ish. Like the one Harry goes to when he needs good advice. Yeah. And Harry's just like complaining and getting everything off his chest. And then at some point he stands, he stands up to leave because he's like, Oh shit, I shouldn't have said all of this. I should have just kept bottling it up. And Michael, who is uh, disabled, he, because he got shot in the spine and now he's got like, his leg doesn't work right anymore, so he's got a cane. And he just hooks it around Harry's knee and falls so that Harry falls back in the chair. And he's like, Harry, you're a, you're such an idiot. Because Harry's like, oh, I've been on this island for a year and a half and no one came to visit me and blah, blah, And I was like, yeah, we didn't visit you because that's the island where I got shot and nearly died. And then, like, Murphy showed up several times throughout a year and a half. Maybe not as much as you would have liked, but it's really difficult for us to get there because the island is actively trying to get us away from it. It's a magical island that doesn't want us there. <laughs> like, Harry, please, sensible. Less of Think your drama. This. Yeah. To calm down, Harry. Yeah, like, stop moping, stop being emo, think about it for a second. It's really nice, because, like, yes, we understand Harry very well. We see all of his thoughts, we get where he comes from. And then he just gets the reality check, like, we would have visited you, except that, you know, it's extremely traumatic for us to do so, and yet we still game a couple of times. Yeah, Harry, you picked, remember... the, you picked the one island, like... <laughs> yeah. I don't remember Could what you not point have I was looked trying at... to make with this. I think, I think it sort of just leads into the, what the series does as a whole. Like it's got a lot of heart, and you know, like it's 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 adult fantasy fiction. So like a lot of bad shit happens, but it's never like too bleak. Like what you said with the um, Scandinavian uh, crime thrillers and stuff. It's never overly bleak all of the trauma that happens to the characters is balanced with like a massive amount of heart. Yeah. It's, I mean, I feel overall, like obviously it's a urban fantasy that's about a wizard fighting supernatural evil. But I think at the core of it, it's very much a series about a guy finding his family and finding his friends and being loved. And learning how to love and be loved. Because Harry's a very emotionally constipated person. Um, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't share how he feels. If he feels bad, he just stays in his apartment until like some kind of world-threatening event pops up. So he never really talks about how he feels unless it either like it's a breakdown or he's forced to talk by other people. But still, despite his inability to communicate about his emotions, it's very much about family and loving each other. And I really like it. Like, they're all adults. They're all over 40 years old. But they're still very much good close friends, and they would do anything for each other. And that's a very nice message, I think. Yes. Hmm. What, like, one of the mo- most touching moments in the series, and I feel like you could ne- you could nearly read this out of like without any of the context of the series uh, bar like knowing who the characters are because Butcher wrote it uh, like it's in it's at the end of Peace Talks but it like happens canonically after the end of the next book he just wrote it around that time and it was included with the book but it's this short story called Christmas Day Christmas Eve Christmas Day something like that yeah and that's yeah like that's so emotionally uplifting 
especially because those two books, Peace Talks and Battleground, they're like the darkest the series has gotten, you know? Yeah, very much so, because, I mean, like I said, in, in Changes is one of the major turning points, no going back, because of the Shannon side on the vampires. And then Battleground and Peace Talks, which were supposed to be one book, are definitely another milestone like that. So to then have the short story where it's just Harry sleeping over at the at Michael's place and talking to Michael about like family and talking to his own daughter and talking to Michael's daughter, it's just very much like, okay, this is a cozy home where everyone loves each other, where everyone feels safe. And they're just, you know, spending Christmas together. And it's such a nice despite the world nearly ending and like apocalypse being right around the corner. They still have time to be a family, even if it's just one day. Even if Harry might be going evil. <coughs> it is important to have those moments in um in any story, I believe, because like we all love the like I do love like, you know, the kind of grim dark stories, but at the same time, you do kinda of want a bit of lightness as well, so you don't get too depressed while reading them. I feel like that's very important. Yeah, and I think I mean if you look online on Twitter and like fanfic and stuff. Found family is such a uh, popular trope. Yeah. Like, people love reading about families finding each other and people finding each other and wanting to be together as a family. And I mean, Harry starts out all alone, right? He's an orphan. His teacher is kind of distant. He's living on his own. He's trying to make his own way in the world. And then slowly throughout the series, you see him connect to so many other people and making such strong bonds with so many other people. And despite the fact that it, like he dies, he ne- he doesn't die, he nearly <laughs> dies <laughs> in most of the book. And most of the books are like literally about saving Chicago or saving the world and it's super stressful. I forgot what my sentence was going. Uh, oh right, yeah, in lots of like action movies there's no real time to develop the found family thing. Like, I guess you've got several individuals here who are thrown together as a team and have to learn to work together. Cool, they do, they defeat the evil. And then the movie ends. And you don't actually see see them being friends and being family. You just, it's kind of told. While here you actually get several scenes where you can see them being friends and loving each other. And I think that was pretty great. That was pretty great. Especially in adult books, where I feel like adults are often just kind of shoved aside as you need a job, you need a, you know, white, straight family. And that's your life, right? You work until you're too old and then you just sit at home. So it's nice to have actual adult books that focus on... I mean, they don't focus on it, but that put importance on loving each other. There probably is a bit of a gap in, the, like, like before I knew about Dresden Falls, I would have said there'd be a gap in the market for that kind of a story. One that's about adults, like, and, like, it's for adults and things like that, but it's still a fantasy story. Because a lot of people, when they think fantasy, they think, oh, that's just for teenagers or adults wouldn't want to read that. But a lot of adults do, and we want to read it, and but we also sometimes want to read about people our own age or even older. Yeah, exactly. Like... I mean, as a teenager, I read pretty much only fantasy, young adult fantasy. 
I still mostly read young yeah. adult fantasy because I just really like fantasy and the world building and the special powers and all of that. And it was such a disappointment to be like, to realize that I got too old for young adult. I couldn't really relate to the characters anymore because they were so much younger than I am. So much younger. Like, usually these people are like 16. And at this point I'm 23. So very often I'm doing the typical adult thing of, no, you're 16, go to your bedroom, when they're trying to be <laughs> rebellious. You know the, you know, you, the <laughs> you know the little mermaid thing where she goes like, but dad, I love him. And I'm like, as a kid, you're like fully on her side. And then when you, once you read 20, it's like, you've met him for a day, chill. I'm getting that. You need to <laughs> it's like, they're these 16-year-olds getting thrown into rebellions and leading kingdoms, and they're like, you are a child, I am still a child, you can't do this. And then you want to, like, protect them, kinda. Yeah, and I was like, well, but adult fiction is all just thrillers and it's really serious stuff that I don't like to read. So to find out that there actually is adult fantasy that isn't super pretentious and, like, difficult, it's really nice. Yeah, because the sort of the only other fantasy that's like fantasy that's quote unquote marketed towards adults is stuff that's really like explicitly grimdark. Like you wouldn't give. Yeah, like you Game of Thrones. Normally, give like a fourteen-year-old Game of Thrones. Yeah, <laughs> or um, yeah. Uh, Joe Abercrombie's First Law. Like those are really like just grim. Like it's in the name. But, the, like, that's, you know, hard fantasy, and this is, like, a world that's removed from our own. Whereas the Dresden Files is, like, it takes place in modern Chicago. Harry is, you know, he's a flawed human being that we can empathize with. He talks about things we know, media we know, you know? Yeah. He struggles to pay his rent. <laughs> sure Don't <enough>. we all? <laughs> I, live, I, live, I live with my parents. Oh, lucky. <laughs> Yeah, I still live I, with my parents, so... I just mean about not having to pay rent. Uh, I have to pay rent. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. But yeah, it's like, he has, like, struggling... Like, yeah, he's out, like, saving Chicago and all that, but he... Like, he... He's still a person, like, you know, we can still relate to him. Yeah, he still makes stupid mistakes and he has to pay his rent and, like, babysit uh, the children of his friends and that kind of stuff. Like, he plays D&D every week, as long as Chicago isn't, like, crumbling to dust. So it's nice to see that kind of... Yeah, you can deal with adult problems and still meet with your friends and have dinner together and play D&D. Like, being an adult... Being an adult doesn't mean that all you do is just work, watch TV and go sleep, right? That's Even true. though I'll never bring a T-Rex back to life, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> It would be pretty fun, though. Yeah, can you imagine? Just, like, in my garden. T-Rex, I mean, to be fair, Harry didn't bring it back to life. He just kind of, like... He found the T-Rex skeleton in the Smithsonian. Is it the Smithsonian? I think it's in a no, big museum whatever museum in is in Chicago. Yeah, whatever museum is in Chicago. I don't know the United States. Uh, <laughs> finds a T-Rex skeleton in a museum. And he kind of like revives the bones or something, and then he rides the T-Rex into battle. There's actually a really good art of it. I'm gonna see if I can find it. I feel like 
that uh, with a lot of things in in Dresden, if you said them out of the context of the series, you like no one would believe you that that happened. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bring there's the T Rex back to life. There's some really weird stuff that sounds like it doesn't make any sense, but like in the context of the books, it really does. Oh, I found some pictures. That's always fun. There's also some always some weird shit going on. And then <laughs> there's a TV show they made of it, which is great. Yeah, it's like oh. eight episodes or something. And it's... I guess it's kind of good if you don't know the books and if you're not expecting an adaptation. But my friend, the friend who recommended the books to me, ooh, she and I watched it together. And then decided to just get drunk while watching it because it was just <laughs> not not good. It's got it's got the guy from um, Angel in it, James Marsters. I know the name, but I can't remember what he does in the series. He he plays Harry. Oh really? That's him. <laughs> yeah, that's him. And and they were like, you know, the show was bad, but you were good. So now he he reads all of the um, audiobooks. He narrates the Dresden audiobooks whenever they come out. Good for him. Yeah, we love His to face see looks so differently as the guy from Buffy and as Harry. No, that's not the same dude. I know he reads yeah. the books, but I don't think that's the... No, I don't think so. I'm looking it up. They don't look alike at all. James Marsters. No? I, I think I'm, he on, put... I'm on IMB. It's Paul Black Thorn. Yeah, it's Paul Blackthorn oh, who plays Harry. As in your man from... Arrow. I'm looking him up. Yeah, he plays right. Quentin Lance on Arrow. Quentin Lance! Yeah, I know, I know him. I know that guy. I'm, I know pretty, that guy. I'm pretty sure James Masters is in, was in this show. I could I'm be wrong. I'm looking at IMDb and he hasn't shown up yet, but let me check. Maybe, or maybe he does just read the audio. Now I feel, now I feel dumb. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. This is why we have IMDb. Yeah, he doesn't show up on INDB. I think he just reads the books. And I kind of want to listen to the books because of him, because I've heard he's really good. But I'm already so bad at listening to podcasts. What would I do listening to a book? Although I guess I already know the books, so maybe it might be easier to listen to them, even when I zone out. Sure. Just take the dogs on a really long walk. A book at a time. <laughs> I'm thinking I'm of other stuff I like about the book. Yeah, I do like that they take, like... I think it's a year per book or some like there's a year in between each book or something because it's such a realistic time frame. I feel like one big event per year seems doable, and even then, it's sometimes Harry's still beat up from the last book in the book that you're currently reading. So it's it's cool that it takes place over 15 years and you can see the characters growing older and sometimes wiser. Wouldn't say Harry always gets wiser, but like, cool. He's trying. <laughs> he does learn his, some stuff. His D and D stat is is stupid. Yeah, I feel like Harry kind of fits into the himbo thing, oh except my he's God, not. You're he's right. not. Really, he's not really nice enough to really be a himbo, but he's close. He's he's like, trying. His trying. intent. His intent to be good is is as much as a himbo yeah. is good. That is true. Yeah. He's doing his best. He's a himbo Oh king. my god, yeah. He, I've never thought about that. <laughs> yeah, right. 
Because he's, he's sometimes so smart, he connects dots that I don't think anyone else would see the connection between. And it's super smart, and like the plans he come up with, he comes up with are generally pretty good. Like he's really smart, but then he's also just so so stupid, and I love it. I connect to that, to that. But like, really yeah, relatable. it's very relatable. Well, one of the one of the best examples of that is um, book fifteen, I think, Skin Game. The, yeah. The, that whole book is like a heist story. So like Dresden as favorite. well. Yeah, like Dresden as well. It just it, it's like constantly reinventing itself. It's not because like it starts off as like, like a monster it, of the week. Yeah, like a monster of the week and a very like pulpy detective kind of story. You know, and Harry is like your hard boiled detective character <laughs> almost. Um, yeah. But but like in Skin Game, like it's a heist and you think like you think oh yeah something's going on uh you know and harry must have an ace up his sleeve and then like it does the whole it does the whole like oceans 11 thing where it's like well actually we've withheld this key piece of information up until this point and it goes back and you get to see just how clever he is yeah and he also keeps like he keeps reinventing, I don't know if it's actually reinventing, but he keeps finding new ways to use magic. Like, he, he's really powerful, I've said this, he's really powerful as a wizard. And he actually, like, learns and standard wizard stuff throughout the books. But he also learns things, because the wizards themselves are usually kind of self-focused on themselves and live like, come into contact with themselves, for the most part. Or, like, they do come into contact, but they're with other creatures, but they're super pretentious, so they don't really listen. Well, Harry does listen to the people he comes into contact with. So he learns a lot of stuff that isn't necessarily wizard stuff, per se, but it does make him more powerful. And that's what often gets him the upper hand when fighting people because they see him as like this brute because he often uses just like blunt power instead of more finicky kind of magic so they see him as some kind of brute who just throws his force around and doesn't think doesn't do anything else and then he in his in his mind is already like planning five steps ahead and doing tricks with magic that they didn't know existed and it's such a nice contrast knowledge is power yeah Really? There's but also... also the... No, you can go now. I was just going to say, but also the ability to, like, knock a door and a wall of a building <sighs> in to stride in in your leather... He wears a leather duster coat. Like, that's also yeah. power. And cowboy boots. That yeah. is power. Like He's a himbo, but he also... <laughs> the leather he also duster and cowboy big boots. dick energy. He does. <laughs> I have to say, I haven't even read the books, and I love this man. <laughs> the funny thing is that several times throughout the book series, Harry goes, no, I don't wear hats. I don't wear any kind of hat, and it's specifically not a cowboy hat. And on every single cover of the edition that I decided to buy, they gave him a cowboy hat on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just really funny because he's like, no, I don't wear cowboy hats or any hats at all. Hats are stupid. And the publisher was like, 
Can I give you a cowboy hat, buddy? Yeah, I think You're it's an acknowledged joke at this stage, yeah. but yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's just really funny. Because at one stage, there's a, there's, um, a character, uh, Lee, or uh, who's like his fairy godmother, quote-unquote, and she's like, I'll, <laughs> I'd give you this... I'll give you this... Um, armored hat which would protect your head you're going into like mortal danger and all the rest of you is covered in armor and he's just like I don't like yeah. hat <laughs> he's like I'm not wearing a fucking hat no it could be but like the, a matter of life and death and it's like you will die if you wear the, if you don't wear this hat and he'd be like well I take my chances yeah <laughs> and then he doesn't Same die so, like he's fair he hasn't he has a point, like. Yeah. But yeah. So, I mean, I mean, he did die at one point, but he came back, so it's fine. And it wasn't because he wasn't wearing a hat. So, <laughs> you know. It's all good. Something else I was gonna say. And now I got distracted by the hat. Fair. <laughs> oh, it was something about the fandom perception of Harry. But I don't remember what it was they say. I'll take I don't your time. It might come back. I don't know. Something to do with his clothes, maybe. Because we were talking about his duster. Oh, no, I remember what I was going to say. It was an entirely different topic. With, um... <laughs> nothing to do with what we were talking about. With Butcher bringing in other uh, beings and creatures from other mythologies. It's really funny and nice when you know those creatures because he starts throwing in hints of what they are or who they are like a couple pages before actually meeting them and if you know them it's like oh I see where we're going and it's because at one point throughout the series you've there's this oh my god are you okay you're right I went to I went to get up off the, I went to get up off the couch tripped and then hit my back into the side of the couch I know. Are you okay? Oh, there's. Are you good, Nigel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm good. good. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um. Yeah. So there's this security company that is mentioned a couple of times. Nothing really special about it, except that then you find out that uh, you get to meet someone who works for them. And okay, cool. She's badass. She's awesome. But okay, sure, nothing special. And a while later, you find out that she's legitimately a Valkyrie from Norse mythology. It's also cool. And then Harry is gonna go meet with the big boss, the CEO of the company. And it's like, uh, he enters the building, and there's two secretaries. And their names, one of them starts with an H, and the other with an M. So if you know... Norse mythology, it's like, oh, didn't Odin's ravens have names that start with H and M? Like, Hugin uh. and Munin, right? And then you go into the office, and the guy is described as like this big, burly dude with only one eye. It's like, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> and it mm-hmm. actually the ends company, up. The company is called Monarch, like Mono, <laughs> yeah. One, and Oc, like Oculus. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and like the this the guy uses the alias uh, Vaderon, which I think is an actual alias Odin uses in mythology. 
And so obviously he, the, the CEO ends up being Odin himself. But it's so nice to see like, oh, the secretaries and then the one eye and then the, it's like, okay, we see where you're going, Jim. And it's just really fun to kind of sniff it out. I, I don't know why, I don't know why just when you said it there, like we've been, we've been referring to him as like butcher throughout the, the this whole episode. And that, like, always, because it carries, like, the sort of the scholarly weight of when you're talking <laughs> about things. And you're like, you know, Austin achieves this. But then yeah. when, you, when you said, we see where you're going, J-, like, it sounds so <laughs> condescending if you call him <laughs> by his first name. We're on to you, Jim. Jim. I once, <laughs> I once had a conversation with my dad about Edgar Allan Poe. And at some point in the conversation, I just called him Edgar. Because I didn't want to keep saying Edgar Allan Poe in full. So I just said Edgar. And my dad just was so... Um, what's the English word? Not disgusted, but like... Um, kind of like disgruntled. Like, how, how dare you call him Edgar? It's like... He's, he's I know Edgar, like, you know. It's, it's easier to just say Edgar. You know Edgar like, down the road. <laughs> yeah. You sure he... <laughs> yeah, my dad was so shocked by it. It was like, what does it matter if I say Edgar Allan Poe each time or just Edgar? You know who I'm talking yeah, he's about. Been, he's been dead for a hundred years anyway, so. Yeah, what does he care? <laughs> but yeah, Jim. Would have been worse if I called him Jimmy? Oh. <laughs> Jimmy Jimmy is a guy in the... Um, Jimmy is, is, is... He's a character in Dresden. and He's one of the... No. I'm Never thinking mind. really hard about who Jimmy is in the series. Nope, nope, I'm, nope. No, I'm wrong again. Scratch that. Get rid, get rid of that. <laughs> we'll cut it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's nice. I'm thinking about the characters again, about how they're not... How, how Jim plays with um, stereotypes and then changes them. Because there's like... You've got Marco in the Mafia Boss who is surprisingly a lot more honorable than you would think on first glance. And then you've got his bodyguard, Hendrix. And Harry always describes him as like this really tall, really broad, like rugby player kind of dude. Doesn't, with... doesn't he nickname him um, Cujo, like the demon yeah. dog from Stephen King? Yeah. yeah. Constantly. <laughs> he constantly calls him Cujo. And Hendrix does. I mean, I feel like Margot, oh, they don't like it because I mean, it's really disrespectful, you know. And Harry just really thinks he's got Hendrix figured out. It's just like the big bad bodyguard who just like who's really stupid because he doesn't say a lot, right? He's just always standing next to Margot and looking really menacing. So Harry keeps like pestering him, calling him Cujo, that kind of stuff. And then slowly you figure out that Hendrix is actually like really smart he's a really good technician he know like he's he's the head of security for all of Margot's stuff so he must be really smart and i think he's like writing a master's thesis on literature or something like he's a really smart dude and then at some point when they talk we figure out that Hendrix is actually just not such a mean guy he just looks that way and that kind of stuff it's really interesting. And like, you've got Michael. Appearances hmm? can be deceiving. Just... Yeah, exactly. And like, you also have Michael, the Knight of the Cross, like the Vag Christian, who never ever curses. Except then, 
his daughter gets kidnapped in one of the short stories. And they go talk to the local priest, because he might know something, but then he doesn't want to tell. And Michael just straight up starts yelling as like, this motherfucker stole my daughter. And everyone's, it's just such a shock, even as a reader, because I mean, Michael never yells, he never curses. He's always super nice, seeing the best in everyone. And then at the end, Henry has to stop Michael from just straight up killing this dude. Because he's so angry that his daughter was kidnapped. Or now in the last one, in Peace Talks, Harry gets kicked out of the Wizard Council, which makes him a fugitive. Like, they're probably going to hunt him down. And Michael thinks it's such an injustice, he just starts cursing in, like, several languages. Until he runs out. And it's so nice, because, like, you've got him back this... Oh yeah, the Christian guy who only ever does good, never makes any bad decisions. And then he does that kind of stuff twice. It's like, okay, cool. That's really cool. Mm. Every He's single very... character in Dresden would take you it takes you by surprise constantly. Yeah, Butcher is very good at like painting characters as kind of two-dimensional and then slowly revealing that there's so much more to them than you ever expected. Yeah. I think that's the big part of the appeal I have for it. Because there's so much backstory to everything and everyone. Yeah. I do wish they'd make it a TV series. I had a conversation with my friend about it where we started fan casting all of the characters. Just like if Netflix made it a TV series, it would be very good. It would be pretty great. Yeah, now now would be right. Like, I mean, you mentioned Netflix now, and back when the original Dresden was made, Netflix wasn't really what it is now. I'm tr- like, I'm trying to remember what year the show came out. I feel like but it's it was- 2010 or something. Yeah, so Netflix Pretty would have old. still been, like... Netflix would have still been, like, that place you send off for DVDs in the mail. <laughs> you know? But, like, now, it, now it's spending so much money. It Like, them and Amazon, they're spending so much money adapting fantasy properties. Like, now it would nearly be ripe. Because now we have studios who are willing to, you know, spend hundreds of millions of dollars on, you know, things to make, like, like The Witcher look really, really good. And, you know. Yeah, yeah and, like, the like expands and stuff like that. Yeah. Like if, like, if there were ever a time for a Dresden adaptation, I think now would be. Yeah, and if, I mean, a lot of the things that makes Dresden... Dresden is that a lot of it is just like Harry's inner monologue but even without that I think they'd just be a very interesting series and obviously they're not gonna make the entire book series because that's too long for any TV series except like The Simpsons or something (laughs) or Supernatural but even even a couple of books or even just one book would be really nice if they did it decently I mean they could do multiple books a season because one of the appeals of Dresden as well is the fact that the books are relatively short yeah. like Stormfront is only like 200 and something pages right yeah yeah and the longest they ever get is only maybe 400 yeah max um, yeah the biggest yeah. one is from looking at them I think changes and then you've got the next four books like changes to skin game are about the same size which I think is 300 or 400 pages max. Hmm. Huh? 
Netflix show when? Yeah. Oh, start start a petition. It's also nice. It's also nice in the books themselves because I mean, people. Whenever I suggest it, people always go like 14, 16 books at this point. That's so much to read. I'm never gonna get started on that. And it doesn't really matter because I mean, obviously, it's best to start with the first book and then read them uh, following. But every book you read kind of explains all the things you need. Like every book where Harry goes like, oh yeah, and the red gore vampires don't exist anymore, you get a short explanation of like, yeah, they were all wiped out because this and this happened. So every book kind of repeats the essential information that you need to have to be able to follow the plot. So even if you read book one in January and then book two in December, you don't need to remember all of what happened in book one because book two kind of explains what you need to know. Yeah, that's very well done. It sometimes annoyed me because I'm like, I know all this shit, but then I also have read more than one book per month, so it's, uh, yeah, sure. sure. Do you know how many books? What was your question? You fell away. Sorry, um, you, how many books there are going to be? How many more there? Or is that still up in the air? Um, I think you originally planned to make 20 books. But I also think it was recently said that it was expanded to 25. So I think the current count is like, it'll end in book 25, but I'm not super sure how set that is and how certain that is. But I think it was going to be 25. Yeah, because the whole, like, it's taken so long for the connections to actually be, be made apparent and you go, oh, these things actually are important. Like, it's taken now 17 books really and like things are starting to come to a head but like only barely yeah like yeah they'll need more like all, all of the big arcs up till now felt like they were really dangerous and and like world threatening but in the end they weren't really but now the information that's been revealed in peace talks was genuinely like, this universe will be destroyed if we don't stop this. So this is, I think, the big ending problem that this area will have to solve. And then either they succeed and the world is saved, or they don't, and the world and the universe is literally just destroyed. So, yeah, I figured 20 or 25. No I think 25 makes more sense with the pace it has been going than 20, because that's only four more books. Yeah, and if they're not that long either. Yeah, so I figure 25 is probably a good amount to solve the issue that they've set up now. Yeah. I think we could wrap it up there? Yeah, I think that's a good ending. So, uh, Faust, where can we... Oh, sorry, no joke. What? Were you saying something? No. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Uh, Faust, where can we find you on social media? My, I'm on Twitter, which is underscore J-O-L-L-L-L-Y underscore. Um, my username is currently like the fight emoji. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's where, what I use mostly for social media. Um, Fair. So you can, you can find me there. I talk a lot about Star Wars and... D&D and Vampire Masquerade and that kind of stuff. Nigel, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at SpicyNigel where you know, 
I just I just do be posting uh, I just do be posting the old memes sometimes about <laughs> sometimes about popular media sometimes about uh, problems that uh, only a very small number of people are experiencing. But you know, I'm out Fair. there. I'm doing it. I'm doing it for the girls and the gays. That's it. And you're dead right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And Allie, where can we find you, Allie? You can find me on Twitter at AllieCast underscore. Um, Allie spelt like alleyway and cat spelt with a K. Where I, I, I just do be tweeting. Like, there's no rhyme or reason to it. And you can find me on Instagram at Allie, A-L-L-Y, underscore K, underscore Keegan, where I post pictures when I have them. Hmm. Mm, intriguing. Go on and on yes. a little countdown for when the next photo you have will be posted. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? As for hyperfixations, you can find us on Twitter at hyperfixationsp or on Instagram at hyperfixationspod. You can uh, rate and review us on wherever you get your podcasts, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify delivered on a piece of paper through your door in the dead of night we're there um, <laughs> we're still working is... that one out but we'll get there yeah we know where you live what about like boosted bitchin <laughs> oh no we're, no we're not that advanced yet we're not uh, we're not that advanced we're, we're getting keep, there yeah pigeons keep biting my hands oh uh-huh, that's a shame yeah. but we'll, 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 we'll get we'll get there yeah right, if then. you see if you see a flock of pigeons in the sky spelling ominous messages, you know we've got it. Cool. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll I take my eyes it, on the pigeons. Yeah. yeah, I think that's it. I think that's it. Goodbye. Thank you very much Bye. for listening. Uh, I hope you enjoyed, and goodbye. Thank you, Faust, for being here, and with that, signing off.